Welcome to Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For, the podcast dedicated to integrative health and healing from breast cancer and breast cancer treatment using the best of conventional and natural medicine. Your host, Deborah Beaumont, is an advanced practice nurse, functional medicine practitioner, and fellow breast cancer survivor. Welcome to this week's episode of Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. This is Deborah Beaumont. As you know, I'm your host and a breast cancer survivor. Uh, I am also a functional medicine practitioner and coach, and I help women navigating their recovery from breast cancer. Before I jump into introducing my guest for today, I do want to talk about that a little bit. Next week's show, I'm actually going to do like a little uh, basic 101 on what does it mean if you want to incorporate functional medicine or integrative health into your own recovery? As many of you have been following me, I get emails from women saying, oh, my God, I don't know anybody locally who does that, or how do I do this? Or, you know, I've sort of been presenting up to this point the bigger uh, concepts and the the bigger ideas, but um, it seems like um, there's still that question of how do I apply it to me? And so next week, I'm really going to delve into that in more detail and some basics that I think we all need to know. But I just kind of want to put out there um, for those of you um, who are listening, if you are interested in this, I am a health coach and a functional medicine practitioner. I work completely by phone and Zoom with women around the country. And if you are interested in implementing functional medicine, integrative health or looking at a more expanded view as it relates to your own recovery, please feel free to reach out to me at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com. I'm a coach. I work with people one-on-one. I do specialized functional medicine testing. And um, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, and I'll keep you guys updated. But I'm going to start. I'm going to have a small group coming up soon just to be able to get this information out to more people and make it accessible to more people. Uh, But I'll keep you updated on that as we move forward. So with that being said, I would like to transition into introducing my guest today. I'm really excited to have Sarah. Um, Sarah Hall is a breast cancer survivor. She's a wife of a first responder, which is significant, and she's the mom of two young girls. Um, She herself is a breast cancer survivor. And interestingly enough, she was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was pregnant. One of the things that I think we need to do as a community is really start debunking some of the myths about breast cancer. I think these myths are pervasive, not only in women who are going through this, but I think it's a real bias in medical providers. The bias is that that breast cancer only happens or it's a disease of, you know, women who are aging. It happens in menopause. And I think our treatments are based on that idea. And we haven't done nearly enough talking about the fact that breast cancer affects men. More and more, it's affecting younger women. Um, As a matter of fact, in my own personal experience, the youngest woman that I met was a 28-year-old woman with breast cancer. I have gotten inquiries from young women and Sarah herself. I I don't want to, she'll tell you her story, but, um, you know, she was dealing with pregnancy and a diagnosis and trying to navigate a normal life that you would expect, you know, at Mm -hmm. at being in your early 30s and building a family. So that's what I want to talk to her about today. Going into this, her background is actually as um, uh, in athletic training. She has been certified as a health and wellness coach. She has worked in gym settings, but it was actually through her experience with breast cancer that she partnered with another survivor. And they have started their own podcast, which is called Besties with Breasties. And they talk about young survivors, growing resiliency, issues that come up in terms of recovery and things that we all need to know. But I really like the humor and the um, poignancy that she brings to this in her podcast. So I have asked her today not only to talk about that, but just to have a conversation about what some of these issues are. And I think we all have to navigate it. But I've got to tell you, I was 49 when I was diagnosed. And um, it was, um, even though I wasn't in that elderly group and I had a family history, it still was nothing like what it would have been in my 30s when I was making decisions about family and relationships and you know, sexuality and that juicy, vibrant time in your life. (laughs) So um, uh, with that, I want to introduce Sarah. She, and as I said, has a podcast. Her goal is to empower women to advocate for their health, tear down the stigma and get the help that they need navigating this. 
Thank you for having me, Deborah. Thank you for that introduction. It was so kind. <laughs> you know, well, I'm really excited because I do think that you bring a really fresh and necessary perspective because um, the statistics are there. More and more women, more and more people, you know, cancer mm-hmm. is rising in general, but breast cancer mm-hmm. in particular, you know, there is um, sort of this attitude that, uh, oh, it's just old women. So, you know, <laughs> you know, no harm, no foul. I've known men who who've had breast cancer, and that's mm-hmm. where it can really go undiagnosed because you know they that's a new one. But really, I, I think these concerns of young women are something that we need to talk about. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your own story. As I mentioned, I you know I I gleaned it from listening to your podcast, but um, mm-hmm. about um, dealing with pregnancy when you were diagnosed. Yeah. So I think um, you know how I kind of found my cancer was I I was thirty weeks pregnant when. Um, I noticed a little bloody discharge um, from my breast and it cued me like something, something is really off. Um, I had always been, I've always been a big proponent of listen to your body, but it was, it was that where I was started tapping into like, okay, this isn't a normal pregnancy symptom. It was my second pregnancy. So um, I thought I had felt the lump a couple weeks prior, but I thought it was just my body getting ready to, um, nurse again and, um, with milk production, but it was the bloody discharge that really like piqued my interest. And I was working with midwives ironically at the time. So I was already tapped into the whole natural vibe of healthcare and it ended up going through the cascade of, you know, seeing a family practice doc who got me in touch with an on- um, a surgical oncologist. And then it just spiraled from there. But my diagnosis happened pretty quickly. So I found it when I was about um, the bloody discharge happened when I was about 30 weeks pregnant. And by the time I was 31 weeks pregnant, I was making plans to do a 35 week delivery. Wow. And realized like, I mean, at the time I was going, I don't know anybody young, my age, who's had cancer, like, who do I turn to? Um, just for somebody to lean on or somebody who's been through this. So it felt, it felt very lonely. Um, And I don't know if it's just, it hadn't hit my group of my circle. Um, But it's ironic since going through my treatment, I feel like there have been more people within my circles who have been touched by cancer in other ways. And it's been very cathartic to be the person that they can call regardless of the type of cancer. And just noticing more and more cancers are hitting this younger, our younger generation. It felt lonely until it didn't. And then I started connecting with people. I connected with my, um, one of my aunt through marriage, she had the same cancer as me. So we really, um, have a close bond now. Um, I got connected with a bunch of groups on Facebook. There's actually one whole group on Facebook. Um, I think it's called, it's kick butt, but it's actually not kick butt. It's the other word. Um, cancer mamas. Um, oh, you can say that because that's, okay, that's part of the foundation of, of, of my podcast is, is Frank okay. talk and, you know, okay, great. It, it might put it off some people, but you know, I mean, you're, okay. you're on the podcast, boobs aren't worth dying for. So true. A little point. Being in your face to begin <laughs> with. So it's called kick-ass cancer mamas, but it, the, the whole group is only, is women who have either been diagnosed very shortly after having a baby or while they were pregnant. And it is just astounding how big this group is. And it really opened my eyes to like, wow, I am not the only one. And I have a couple of things to say about Facebook groups. They're great to realize that you're not alone. They can also be really scary. Like it can be a place to go and then just like get lost in the scariness of like, you know, conventional drugs or, you know, outcomes from surgery, or is this look right? You know, Facebook is always the place where we go to for everybody to post their best days. But in groups like that, sometimes I feel like it's the place you go to when you when it's your worst day. So, um, you know, I'll I'll tell you recently, there's a couple groups that I'm in and women are a posting some really graphic pictures, which, you know, Mm -hmm. I understand they're looking for support, but that's really triggering to anybody. Yeah. You know, that Mm -hmm. that has gone through it. And I find it to be really upsetting. And then the other thing is like, they'll, they'll post something that as a medical person, I'm like, holy cow. And they're like, (laughs) Oh my God, what should I do? And, you know, getting all these opinions on Facebook and I'm like, call your doctor, you know, you've got a necrotic wound or drainage (laughs) coming from a wound. You should not be going on Facebook. You should be going to the emergency room. Right. Just my own personal bias, but I'm a nurse at heart. So Yep. Yep. So yeah, I've, I found that about, 
about Facebook groups in general. Um, but it had, it, it did take the loneliness away. Um, it made me realize that I wasn't alone. And I, and I have since connected with so many women who are young survivors, like my friend who I have the podcast with. Um, it's been, it's been very eye opening how just learning about hormones. Like, so I got ended up going through a lot of my own health journey. I, I chose conventional treatment. Um, so I went through chemo and I went through, um, surgery and everything. I had my daughter at 35 weeks. She's healthy. She's great. Um, I, I feel very lucky that I didn't get diagnosed earlier and then had to make the choice to either do chemo, you know, early or to delay chemo. You know, I, I feel lucky that I didn't have to go through that. I've watched a lot of women on Facebook be like making that hard choice and knowing how hard that could probably be. So tragic set of circumstances to be pregnant. Yeah. You know, not not only in terms of like having to navigate these horrible life-changing decisions, but that's, that's a time in your life to like enjoy your body and, Mm -hmm. you know, enjoy the experience and, you know, that special la la foo-foo place that you get to because of hormones largely, but who cares? It's still, yeah. you know, it's still a lovely place of, of, of hope and imagining. And I would imagine that all of that, you know, gets maybe not stripped from you, but tampered down when you have mm-hmm. to sit there and think, oh my God, but you know, I've got to do this treatment and how's that going to affect the baby? And I mean, it's yeah. just, I mean, talk mm-hmm. about, you know, such a, a, a major life event, you know, being defined by cancer, but that, that just, yeah. 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 It, it, when I think back on my daughter's birth, um, it definitely went very different. I was planning, I was going to try for a home birth. I was going to go unmedicated, you know, and then having a 35 week induction, you, you know, I think it, for any woman cancer or not, when you have a vision of what you want your birth to look like, if it goes differently, I feel like you do have to, you have to process that like a trauma, any trauma. And then to add on top of it, now my birth is completely different than I wanted. And I've got to figure out like navigate cancer and the unknowns and what, and what is the preemie. next, I mean, yeah. Like, and I had a preemie. Yeah. She, she was, thank, I mean, she was the easiest baby in the world. <laughs> so great. We got very lucky there, but you know, yeah, there is, there was lots to lots of things to consider, you know, when you're going through it, there's lots of things to consider any, anytime anybody's going through a cancer diagnosis, but when you've got kids at home, that's a special, like explaining to kids what's going on with you. Um, being able to talk to my, my older, she was three and a half at the time, but tell her like why I was going to lose my hair, why I wasn't working as much. Um, just talking her through everything was, you know, it wasn't, I'm not going to say it wasn't, it was not, it wasn't terribly hard, but it was just an added thing that we had to do, which right. we wouldn't have had to. So, right. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the, um, I was mentioning this to Sarah when we were talking before I started the podcast, um, I was talking to a woman recently who was in her early 30s. The doctors had decided to do ovarian suppression so they could give her AIs, you know, and I, and I just asked her the question, have you decided you were done having children? And she burst into tears because no one had asked her. I, I, I think in general, this is this is a problem where we live in a world where our medical care is very disease specific and very disease focused and they're talking about the disease not that you know they shouldn't but it's not a matter this came actually um this comes from uh, my functional medicine uh instructor and she can says it say it much better but when you look at functional medicine it's not it's not the focus on uh what is the disease doing? The, the focus mm-hmm. of functional medicine is who is the person that has mm-hmm. the disease? Mm-hmm. And so in any area, you can go see any specialist, but particularly an oncologist, they'll give you statistics for days about mm-hmm. um, oncology and this treatment and this and blah, 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 blah. And this increases your percentage, but it makes a world of difference if you're 30 years old and your childbearing years having, yeah. you know, probably being a newlywed and somebody who's 65, who's had their life experience in that way, making those decisions. And I, yeah. I, I really think that um, sometimes the focus can be too much on the disease and not on the person with the disease. We, yeah, we, we talk about that. And I, I thought that through so many times, whenever I have 
there, there have been times when I disagree with the things not, I don't want to say I disagree. I just say I weigh my options and I choose something that is not their recommendation. They're manning my oncologist. I think a lot of times, a lot of um, oncologists or traditional doctors are so outcome focused that they don't take into consideration the age of the person and they're, they're only looking into survival rates and what makes the numbers look best for them, but they don't take the time to ask like, okay, what, what are you wanting from your life? What is important to you? And for somebody who's younger, it's going to be different than potentially somebody who's a little bit older. So, you know, what's important to me at 35 is making sure that my marriage stays strong, making sure that I'm not an irritable young lady for my like parent for my kids. Um, I, I want to make sure that I have the energy to live my life. And what I was noticing on some of the more conventional treatment that they wanted me to be on was that I wasn't that, which is, you know, why I have done some of the things I've done in the functional medicine work. Like that's kind of what led me to marrying functional medicine with some of my conventional treatment. Right. And I, and I think, you know, to, to wrap your mind around why would I do a functional approach as, as a, as opposed to the traditional approach. And it's for these very reasons, as a matter of fact, even in the literature, you know, they'll refer to quality of life, but they almost like, like poo poo it like, Oh yeah, that's a quality of life issue. No big deal. Well, let's break that word down or that phrase down quality of life, a bias from my nursing background, but I've, worked with patients in in every degree of illness and death. And I personally believe there are things that are worse than dying, you know, um, uh, long-term suffering. And I think most people can wrap their mind around that. Um, So I do think that instead of being a secondary thought of like, oh, quality of life, it needs to be the primary thought. Mm -hmm. And and it, it does matter your age. It does matter, like you said, what your goals are. And I can say being a stage four cancer patient in my life. Now, the first thing they told me is that I had six weeks to live. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty sobering. It's kind of like that come to Jesus moment. And um, I had decided based on my previous experience with treatment that, that um, given the prognosis, I did not want to do chemo at any cost. I, I, you know, you know, within minutes of them telling me the diagnosis, I turned around to my husband and I said, I do not want the last phase of my life to be defined by being violently ill. And I don't want my, his last memories of me to be caring for an incapacitated, bedridden person. And, um, and fortunately, I had a doctor that when I said that too, was respectful of that. But a lot of doctors, they start putting a lot of pressure on patients or browbeating patients. And not just because you're stage four, but because of any of these quality of life issues. I've had women contact me who are um, having horrible reactions to the AIs, to the aromatase inhibitors, and they are in so much pain they can barely function. And they want to come off of them, which to me is a valid response when when you can't function because of the side effects of these meds and the doctors screaming at them and yelling at them and, and being outright abusive towards them instead of looking at like, who is this person, you know, and what are, what, what would be best for them? You know? And, and I do think that that's not to talk about any particular treatment, but that perspective is missing. Yeah. Yeah. Too often. Yep. It's, I think, I think a lot of times you just want to weigh quality to quantity and when you, um, when you sit down and you think about yourself, like what would you, and in your case, you preferred quality over quantity, and then you have to do everything that you can to make sure that your quantity, that you can fill the bucket of quantity to make sure that the quality of life is good for right. the quantity that you can, that you can create. And that I think is where it's, again, it's like, it's where functional medicine comes in because you were told you have six weeks to live. Well, you know, like I weighed a lot of my, I had problems with the AIs as well and ended up switching medications and everything. And they kept coming at me like, you're um, you're raising your percentage chance of this coming back and being metastatic. And, and I said, well, yeah, but if I'm living in a way that I am not comfortable with and I don't like, 
I don't think I'd rather not be myself than to, and, and lower my chance of, I, I mean, I will raise my chance of lowering my quantity to raise my quality. You know, you're right. constantly weighing right. that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's a, that's a dance, you know, because we have to look at each of these treatments. They affect each of us differently. And that's a dance. And, you know, perhaps your initial reaction, you know, changes over time as you learn more or you find out it wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. I know women who take AIs and they don't have any problems at all. It's like, yeah. well, power to you. The really basic thing to me is that the traditional approach doesn't, it almost doesn't factor the person in. It's like you're a statistic, you know, you're, you're a diagnosis, you're a walking diagnosis. It's like, you're not a breast cancer patient. You're a mom, you're a daughter, you're a friend, Mm -hmm. you're a wife, you know, who happens to be dealing with, with cancer and, and how that all comes together is going, may look different for each person. But, um, you know, this is kind of a thing they always joke about in medicine. Oh, well, that gallbladder down the hall, they're not a gallbladder. They're a person. I know young women, um, a very good friend of mine was diagnosed with another form of cancer in her late twenties, right before she was going to get married. And, um, some of, um, some of our mutual friends were doing the hand wringing, like, Oh my God, you know, she's going to go through treatment. She's never going to be able to have kids and Oh my God. And Oh my God. And Oh my God. And you know, what I was telling my friends is like, for one thing, you've got to get your own bullshit and check here. You know, your hand wringing isn't helping her, you know, whatever, whatever their path is as a couple, they will navigate together, but your anxiety and and your reaction to, oh, my God, what if it was me is not helpful here. And, you know, she made the decisions that she made and she went through some pretty aggressive chemo uh, radiation. Actually, she had thyroid cancer. So it was an, a very aggressive radiation regime. And, um, you know, what is it? It must be like 10 years later now. She's got three kids. You know, she's got a beautiful young family and she navigated cancer and she navigated getting married and she was the most beautiful bride ever. Mm -hmm. And she navigated having this beautiful family. So, so it's, I'm, you know, I don't think either one of us are saying it's an either or, but I think this is, this is the reason that you would look at working with a functional or integrative practitioner, because it's a more person-centered approach than disease-centered approach. Yep. And, and I think that you can make some individual choices and patients have wisdom. We have wisdom about our people have wisdom about our bodies. You know, I remember I worked in pediatrics and I would talk to doctors and I'd say, well, the mother says something's wrong with that kid. And the doctor would be like, oh, all their numbers are fine. All their vitals are fine. And I'm like, if a mother is telling you something is wrong, something is wrong. If a patient is telling you something is wrong, something is wrong, even if you can't measure it by your standards, and usually within like the hour, something, something would crash and burn, you know, but, but we have wisdom. And I I think what both of us advocate for is we have a voice in this, and we should be at at least an equal partner. You know, so many people kind of move into what I call this me, Tarzan, you, Jane, or this very, you know, daddy won't approve of me kind of um, emotional response, you know, like it's a, it's a very patriarchal thing. But the fact is, is that your doctor, your medical team, whoever you work with, they're there to work with you in partnership, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and with what you want, what your goals are, what, what you consider a priority. And instead of being told what to do, it should be a discussion about yep. the path forward. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I, I shopped around my oncologist ended up retiring the one that I had originally ended up retiring over COVID and I shopped around for a new one. And I refused to have an oncologist that wouldn't come in and respect the way that I, you know, I'm coming in with the knowledge that I have and no, I haven't been to medical school and no, I haven't, I don't have a hundred oncology certifications and I don't read every single literature that comes out about the newest oncology drug, but, but I know my body and I know what I'm okay with and what I'm not okay with. And I know what my goals are in life and just being able for them to hear that and respect it, um, is, is what I wanted from a provider. You know, and and I think that's really the foundation of of the work that I do is really empowering women to to be active. And and let me be the first to tell you, if you are not getting 
respected, you're not getting the information that you need, go out and see somebody else. I don't care if you live in the smallest town in the middle of, you know, nowhere. The fact is, is that is that most um, most integrative oncologists, most coaches, myself included, we work by phone. There are ways to reach out. There are ways to get information. There are ways to empower yourself. You are not at the mercy of the doctor down the street because he's the only one in town. Um, you know, like you said, Facebook groups, you know, not that I believe that people should treat themselves by Dr. Google, but, you know, there are ways to get information. There are enough resources out there. We live in a communication environment now, um, you know, because of COVID, we're all meeting on, on Zoom anyway, whether they're down the street or not. I, I had an appointment with my doctor yesterday. They're like two minutes away from me and I'm still seeing them on Zoom. So you're not at the mercy of, of your local uh, person because they're the only ones in town. Right. Yep, exactly. That's, that is kind of the good that has come out of COVID. Um, I did want to talk about um, in the information that we exchanged before this, you said that um, you found the most difficult time in your recovery, mentally and physically, to be after the diagnosis and when you were healing from the trauma. And I'm wondering yep. if you could talk a little bit about that, because that's an area that that is a major focus in my work as well. And I'm interested in hearing your perspective. Yep. So it was about, um, it was about, uh, I would say almost exactly at a year out from my final um, chemo that I realized I had a lot of people. So I was having problems at work and I've never had problems at work. Um, they were telling me that I wasn't like the same motivated, driven Sarah that I had always been. Um, I was having problems at home. I just have always been that like go getter. And I couldn't like, I couldn't get up with the motivation to do anything. I was having problems sleeping, wasn't losing weight in any way. And with hormone therapy, I mean, that is hard to do in general, but I wasn't losing weight with all my usual things that I know to do. Um, and it was really getting me down. I was, I also started having some, this came out of, out of left field and was the hardest probably of all of it. And probably the biggest eye opening was, I was having problems sleeping and I just remember having uncontrollable negative thoughts, like, and, and like suicidal thoughts, but never like, I'm going to act on suicidal thoughts. I had never, right. I had never had any kind of suicidal thoughts in my life, but I had like, my mind would go spinning into this like insomnia about like, you know, whatever small debt I had or, um, what, however I was going to not be able to rebuild my world after cancer. And, um, and then I'd be like, well, I mean, would it be just be better if I wasn't here? Like I had, I had these on a regular basis. And then with every, when everything just kind of piled on each other, it was kind of those negative thoughts where I was like, I need to go see somebody. Uh, you know, I come from a family that doesn't really, um, you know, mental health was not a thing. I think for, I, I think a lot of people, that's probably a, a lot of people's story who I was born in the eighties. That's probably a lot of people's story is that mental health has really grown into what it is now. I just, it wasn't a thing. And I realized when I was having those thoughts, like, okay, I, I need to go see somebody. I need help in this situation. I can't do this alone. I can't exercise my way out of this. I can't nutrition my way out of this. I need to go talk to somebody. And I found a, I found a counselor and I started seeing a counselor um, about that same time. I started seeing a functional medicine doctor who ran some labs on me. I had some wacky thyroid stuff going on. I, I remember I did this. Um, this was outside of the functional medicine doctor. I found this book. I was really, I was throwing spaghetti at the wall. I was trying to figure something out. And I tried this like 21 day hormone reset where I like took a lot of things out of my diet. Um, and then I remember by the end of those 21 days, I was working with the functional medicine doctor. I was seeing my counselor weekly at the end of those 21 days when I had like, uh, fizzled out a lot of things for my diet. I mean, dairy, gluten, sugar. Um, I, I even took out fruit. Um, I mean, I did a lot. I was eating vegetables basically. And I remember at the end of the 21 days, I was like, well, I mean, I am sleeping. I feel better. I lost five pounds. Like, I mean, I had felt like this renewed sense of me was back and it was like the new me. It was like a cancer me. It was a more res like, you know, we talk about on our podcast, a more resilient me, um, had, had like been reborn because now I had gone through all of this and I didn't just get like a pill to fix my mind. Like I could have taken some antidepressant and I'm sure it would have made me sleep, but it wouldn't have fixed the weight problem or, you know, maybe it would have, I don't know, but 
I had like clawed my way out of it. And I felt like so much more powerful on the other side of it because I had done the research. I had looked into it. I had, I had made the tough decision to not eat a cookie after dinner, you know, whatever the case may be, I felt like this empowered person. And that's what kind of really what started my whole functional medicine journey in the last couple of years of my life was really like the power that I felt from being able to fix this thing that was going on with me, these dark thoughts, the sleep, the not being able to lose weight, the irritability that I was feeling. Um, I mean, it was really an out of body experience. It felt like I was watching my life and, and going through that, I, I I mean, I, it was just, it was life-changing. Well, you hit on so many things in that, in what you just said that I focus on as a functional medicine practitioner, you know, for one thing, I was in a a breast cancer survivor group. Some of the women were going through treatments that I wasn't going through, namely radiation. And there was this one woman who had finished chemo. She was excited for weeks about um, finishing radiation. And then the next time we met, which was about two weeks after she finished radiation, she came in and she's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. She was um, exhausted tired, depressed. She And she expected to be, she had talked for weeks about how elated she was that she was going to finish radiation. And, mm-hmm. and, and it was shocking to her that she had the exact opposite experience. And she, and it scared her because, you know, you don't have, you don't have time to sit back and think about the meaning of life or the bigger pictures. You're, you're figuring out what am I going to do with my kids while I go to the chemo suite for hours tomorrow. And then I've got to get dinner on the table and blah, blah, blah. And I don't mean to be sexist, you know, but, but um, you know, you're, you're just putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, you're kind of in a, I think, I think psychologically you're in a state of shock all through the treatment. You're just trying to navigate the next best step, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, how do I get, you know, radiation five days a week? And how do I, you know, how do I deal with my job and how do I do this? And you're just doing the mechanics of it. When all of that goes away, you're just left in ruin. In like, the void. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like, what the hell? At least, at least what I was doing made sense. Mm-hmm. And now I, I think physically and psychologically, there's this letdown. Like then you have, then you have to sit there and sit with yourself. And then the scary questions start coming like, oh my God, is this ever going to come back? You know, oh my God, you know, it, you know, I think I think one of the reasons that I focus a lot of my work as a functional practitioner in that um, post-treatment phase is because I think that's when psychologically and physically kind of things catch up with you, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, at least if you're angry, at least if you're you're in treatment and, and you're you're getting, you know, you're getting yourself in the car and going to your treatment, at least you feel like you're doing something. And then when it's not to mention, you have inbuilt support. I mean, even when I was having massive complications on my own, I was seeing my doctor probably like three times a week. So that meant that I was seeing his receptionist three times a week and we had a relationship and we'd sit and talk, you know, and then um, and then, you know, there were counselors and there were people plugged in and there was always somebody checking on me. All of that ended the day I no longer was in active treatment. All of a sudden, and many of my regular friends had dropped off because they were living their regular lives. They weren't, you know, and all of a sudden, like, I didn't have these people that I was interacting with all the time, you know, and you don't necessarily see it that way be- because in it's it's focused around treatment, but there's a lot of inbuilt support in that. People checking in, you know, people calling you just people asking you how you're doing. Well, two years out of active treatment, people aren't doing that anymore. No, no. You know, and, and yeah. I, I do think that, and I think that's the time, like you, after my first, um, you know, after I got home from, uh, from the multiple surgeries, the first time I had cancer, I have a degree in psychology. I have training in trauma and post-traumatic stress. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, um, there was a period of time that I started having anxiety attacks. Like I would go out, like the room would start spinning, mm-hmm. you know, and I would be hyperventilating in the middle of a coffee shop mm-hmm. or um, I wasn't sleeping. Or when, when there was a sound outside, I, I, I'd startle and I'd think, oh my God, somebody's breaking into the house. And then I remember one day sitting there like, wait a minute, 
these are all the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, the inability to sleep, the startle response, the yeah. hypervigilance, you know, the, I'm like, I'm having post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. It, but it, it took me, even with all of my years of training and experience, a while to kind of self-diagnose. And then I go back to my doctors and say, oh, my God, I'm experiencing post-traumatic stress. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's not a thing. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I think it it doesn't compute because there's so much media about like, you know, a veteran with post-traumatic stress right. or like. I don't know. My husband is a first responder. There's all kinds of stuff, you know, they have post-traumatic stress from everything that they see, or, you know, if somebody was a part of a shooting or something like that, but it doesn't feel like it connects with a cancer diagnosis, but it is so, it's so real. And especially if you've never, like you had the knowledge in it, I had never had these like dark thoughts. And I had, I mean, I had an anxiety attack and I was like, what? I couldn't breathe. And I like, my kids were in the I back didn't know there was the car. A heart attack and I was what like, was what on? is happening to me? And like, you don't, you don't know. And if you've never had one in your life, like it doesn't compute that that's what's going on. You just think like, I'm getting back to my life and all of these things aren't adding up to who I am. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like what's going on. And you just like get in this mental cycle until, until like you have a day like that, where it clicks, you're like, okay, this is, this has to be what this is. Like nothing else makes it make sense. Not to mention the people around you, you know, sometimes the people closest to you, they expect you to get back to yourself to be the Sarah, who's the good worker and the go-getter and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, in a good mood and cheerful and makes everybody laugh. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, but that, that may not be who you ever are again, you know? And it's certainly not who you are having gone through treatment, but people, I think, rising out of their own discomfort with this, not only don't know how to support it, but are sometimes a bigger part of the problem. Husbands, like, why can't we have sex like we used to? You're not in treatment anymore. You know, Uh, I hear from women who have had reconstruction. Well, you got a boob job. What's your problem? You look better. Uh You know, and, and, you know, and it's just, it's, it's just kind of this Neanderthal approach that we we have, you know, which, which once again goes back to not um, acknowledging or incorporating the emotional, mental and spiritual yep. trauma of this diagnosis and treatment. Yeah, I, I love we um, so the nonprofit that my friend has the the, um, the podcast that I have with she has a mentor program. So I mentor newly diagnosed women. And I think the the, I, the best value that I give to them is that anytime that, you know, they're, they're telling me about like, okay, my doctor is recommending this. And I'm like, okay, good. How does that make you feel? Right. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, I get that there's like, this is your to do, like, here's what, here's the surgery you're going to have. Here's your chemo. Like they're recommending you have hysterectomy after like, okay, but what is your gut telling you about how, how is that making you feel to hear that this is going to happen? Like, what, what is your, what is your, what are your thoughts around this? Like, I know that's what they're telling you, but you know, what does your body say? Like, what does your mind tell you? What does your heart tell you? Well, and um, you know, maybe this is a good time because I think between the two of us, we just ran a whole gamut of things that people might be experiencing as they're listening to us. And the last thing that I want to do is stir up anything without giving people resources. So once again, to let you all know, if any of this is resonating with you, if you um, want to talk, you know, if you if you want to find out how to use functional medicine, like Sarah said, some of it's not even who you are psychologically, some of it's, you know, that your hormones are out of whack, you know, and your thyroid's out of whack, and your blood sugar's out of whack. And that's what I do as a functional medicine provider, is I help people kind of stabilize those other areas that are all impacted by treatment, and then come up with a treatment plan to move forward. And that includes working in this area of trauma and post-traumatic stress. For those of you who have listened, you know, I've done a couple of podcasts on post-traumatic stress. If you have questions about that, please reach out to me, RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com. This is what I do when I work with clients. I help them identify and help them come up with a plan to resolve some of these things. So if any of these things that we've just been talking about, you feel like, oh my God, that's me. Well, what do I do next? 
What you do next is send me an email and and um, I will also, uh, we'll get to how to contact Sarah before we close our talk today. Both of us, we learned about these things through our own experiences and our goal is to help people address them, not just to bring them up as interesting talking points on the podcast. <laughs> right, for sure. We By speaking through our pain, we are hoping to make your pain less. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, both of us have, for um, our own reasons, looked at expanding our toolkit, you know, beyond just traditional medicine. And I can tell you, just being having been a nurse my whole life, medicine, you know, traditional medicine, they're not good at, at acknowledging the psychological and emotional impact of anything, including being somebody who's work, you know, I worked in a pediatric ICU. So you can imagine how difficult that was when patients died, but you sit down and talk to a bunch of medical people about having a support group, you know, to process that. And they look at you like you're a Martian, you know, <laughs> medicine does not, does not deal with psychological or emotional aspects of illness much at all. And so uh, you know, but as a patient, you know, we deal with it all the time. That's so, what you got to um, go home with. <laughs> yeah, that's what we got to live with. And and I and I really appreciate your courage in talking about your suicidal ideation. You know, um, not ideation, your your suicidal thoughts. There's there's. I want to be very clear about the language. Ideation to me means that you have a plan, and yeah. um, you know. But I'll tell you, at one point in time, that was me. You know, um, and it was years after my cancer diagnosis, and I you know, as I said, I have a background in psych, I knew the warning signs, I knew it was not normal to be sitting at the beach, planning like how many pills I was going to need to take in order to end my life. And um, it's interesting that you bring this up, because I don't think I've ever told anybody this. But I, I really feel like it's important to talk about. I mean, literally, I was like, how would I do this? When would I do it? What, what part of my house, who would find me, who would take care of my cat? I mean, I'm talking ideation. Oh, yeah, I mean, sitting planning. down and yeah. seriously making plans. And, you know, I had, I had had, you know, those passing thoughts as you talk about, but I was in a place that I was in a really bad place. And um, fortunately, I, I had a therapist and I called her up and I, I called her at home and I said, I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. I'm in real trouble. But at least I had that. A lot of people don't have yep. that. And I went down and um, she referred me to um, not only a psychiatrist, but a psychiatrist who he, he just had a very different approach. But he his his belief was there is no other illness that we deal, deal with where you can't diagnose and have specific treatments for specific problems. And he didn't think that uh, mental and emotional issues should be any different. So he had a very different approach. He actually did EEGs to look at brainwave pattern, hmm. you know, and that's his, you know, and, and he's in, if anybody's interested, contact me and I can give you his, his name, but he, and I, and I kept saying, well, what's, what's wrong with me? What's the diagnosis? And, and he's like, I don't do diagnosis. I look at brainwave patterns and I have found that certain brainwave patterns are associated with you know, get improvement from a certain medication regime. And he started me on medication that was not, you know, the typical take this SSRI antidepressant. He started me on some medication and I was really skeptical. I'll tell you within 48 hours, if you had said, have you thought about killing yourself? I would be like, what's wrong with you? I mean, literally within 48 hours of starting on a medication to help what was going on neurochemically in my brain, the idea of suicide was, was, the way it should be to most people, which is like, are you kidding me? Right. But 48 hours earlier, I was sitting at a beach, figuring out how many pills and combinations, you know, I don't want to go on about that. But I just want to say that there is help out there. Yep. You know, if you are experiencing depression, anxiety, panic attacks, post traumatic stress symptoms, suicidal ideation, hopelessness, you don't have to suffer. Um, in, in silence, reach out, reach out to me, reach out to Sarah, you know, reach there, there is help. And sometimes it's not because there's something wrong with you. Sometimes it is a reflection of the not only biochemical process, but the very real losses going on in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that happened for me as I went to see a plastic surgeon about the deep procedure for reconstruction. And it was really clear that was not going to be an option for me. And I said to him, I'm, I'm like, Oh, I just feel so bad because I know this is just really vain, you know, to, you know, to be so focused on, you know, reconstructing. And, and he's like, this isn't, this isn't vanity. He's like, you had a part of your body amputated. 
Mm-hmm. And and he's like, this is no less valid than, you know, somebody who lost a limb in war. It's just societally, we acknowledge that more. And, and I say that because that particular phrase of losing a part of my body from amputation, cut through all that bullshit about, well, you know, you're just vain or what difference does it make or, you know, all of that. And, and I, and I'm just kind of painting with a big stroke here, but I, we've, we've kind of, I think, entered into an area that we really need to be discussing and nobody does. So I don't want to shy away from that in this moment in our talk together, because you brought up a really powerful issue that I think is playing in the background for many, many women. It's just that most of us get scared by those thoughts and we don't know what to do when we're having those feelings and thoughts. And I really want to acknowledge your bravery in, in bringing that up because this is the kind of stuff that we need to be supporting each other around because no one else is going to understand it if we can't support our each other. Yep, exactly. I 100% agree. You are not alone. Nobody is alone in in thinking thoughts like that when you've gone through what you've gone through with a cancer diagnosis or with, you know, with anything that causes you some kind of loss, like there's lots that goes into it chemically and just mentally. And I, and I think that there is a physical and a psychological response that, that, you know, they don't play out in like separate little playgrounds. It all hits you all at once. And yeah. so, um, you know, as I said, if, if any of this resonates with you, you know, please contact either one of us. Neither one of us want to be having this conversation and leave you hanging and feel yeah. like you don't have anybody that you can reach out to. And, and that's really, I think, the foundation of the work that both of us do yeah. is, is, you know, and, and it's one thing to have, you know, maybe a, a local, I'm, I'm in a local breast cancer support group, but I can't imagine discussing some of these bigger issues there. You know, they want to talk more about, well, what medication did you take? And, you know, what, what treatment did you do? But I want to have these more important conversations because we all know it's there and it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's happening in the dark of night. Yep, exactly. When you don't feel like you have anybody to talk to. Right. <laughs> So, um, you know, I want um, where um, this time has gone really fast. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. I feel like we're just <laughs> skimming the surface. Um, I just want to um, take a few minutes and um, just once again mention your podcast, which is Besties with Breasties. And um, I'll tell you, I've listened to a few of them. And I, I, my favorite part of the podcast is um, Boobs in the News. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to talk about, I mean, it's just like, when I saw that, I just, I was drinking coffee. I literally spit out my coffee. Um, so, you know, just want to take a few minutes to um, to talk about what you're trying to do in terms of this resource. As, as we mentioned, you know, you're really um, gearing it towards uh, young women who are navigating a different aspect of their lives. Yeah. You know, but um, if you could, you know, just talk a little bit about the podcast, what what it's for, talk about your concept of boobs in the news. Yeah. (laughs) So um, boobs in the news, it was kind of born, it was born last summer, actually on my birthday, we went, I had went for a run with my cousin and then my friend, my uh, friend who's a young survivor. And we were sitting there at like brunch after our long run. And um, my cousin who has not had a, a cancer diagnosis at all, she goes, I could sit here and, and Beth and I, Beth is my podcast mate. And we were sitting there talking about, um, I don't know, like something about oncologists or something about the things you don't, you don't really consider when you go into menopause in your thirties. Like, you know, we were talking about something and, and my cousin, she's like, I could sit here and listen to you guys all day. Like, I don't know about this stuff. All I know about breast cancer is, you know, you get a boob job or you go through chemo, you lose your hair, like all the surface stuff that everybody can see about breast cancer. And she's like, I don't, I didn't know about any of this. And I didn't know you were going through this or, you know, there are some funny sides of it as long as you see it in the funny way. And so, you know, the idea kind of came up, we're like, why don't we share with other people, you know, or even breast cancer survivors when they're newly diagnosed, what to expect and how to go about it with a mindset of resiliency so that they are educated and know that they feel empowered to talk to their oncologist or to talk to their family and ask for the things that they need. So that's kind of where the podcast was born. And then um, (laughs) boobs in the news came up because some of the topics can be heavy, just like we talked about today. Some of them can be very heavy. And 
um, my Beth, who is my podcast mate, she, uh, she was like, what if we, what if we did a boobs in the news where we talk about silly people? I thought she meant like people with breasts, like doing like a nip slip or like, I thought we were going to talk about that. I didn't know that a boob was like somebody doing something silly. So that's kind of a whole another little funny, but, um, we decided to somehow bring kind of some humor to it so that not everything seemed so heavy. Cause you can get into the weeds about, you know, the stuff that you deal with whenever you're going through hormone treatment or chemo or radiation or whatever, or how it impacts your relationships. So we wanted to just make sure that we had a little bit of lightheartedness to it. And we've actually gotten, we've gotten one person gave us feedback that, they thought that it was inappropriate to put in there. And um, ironically, that one person was a man. So <laughs> we said, we <laughs> said okay, that's your opinion and we're going to continue it. And and so far, the resounding opinion is like boobs in the news is their favorite part and they look forward to it. So, um, so yeah, we've kept that in there and it's, it's kind of our favorite part too. <laughs> well, interesting that you bring that up because I've had a very similar response to the name of my podcast, Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. Mm. You know, um, I, you know, when I, and that's kind of a reflection of, you know, for me, like there's this uh, reality and this starkness that goes along with going through this process. You know, um, uh, I've told people before, the night before my, double mastectomy, a very close friend of mine said, Oh, my God, I could I could never have a mastectomy, you know, um, because, you know, that would impact my sex life so much because, you know, you know, uh, my boobs are so much a part of my sex life, I wouldn't enjoy sex ever again. This is the night before. Great. And, <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. Um, my doctors never asked me whether or not I wanted to have another orgasm. They asked me whether or not I wanted to live or die. Mm-hmm. You know, and to me, there's a starkness, um, you know, sort of like, sort of like, you know, after you go through this and every, every person in the hospital has seen your exposed chest, I could walk down the street naked and not blink an eye. You know, I mean, I've lost any sense of modesty. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, in, in one way, I mean, you certainly don't want to minimize that that is very tragic, but there's humor to come out of it too. Yeah. And so <laughs> the couple of people that I got, um, you know, I didn't want a, a generic sweet sounding name for my podcast, you know, like, you know, and I'm not insulting anybody, but you know, recovering from breast cancer or blah, 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 blah. I didn't want to make it flowery and pretty. I didn't feel flowery and pretty. You know, I, I, you know, this wasn't a walk in the park. This was major traumatic life changing experience in my life. And I didn't want to sugarcoat it. So um, the two people that I, and uh, one of them was a woman uh, who had said to me, well, I, uh, you know, I just find the name of your podcast really off putting. And I was like, you know what? Um, You've never had to go through this, you know, and you've never been, um, uh, you know, broken down to your pieces parts, like, yeah, let's just cut off your boobs, everything else is fine. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I particularly named it because I wanted to be very kind of in your face, very um, upfront about about what this is. And, you know, and, and not to negate any of the seriousness, but the fact is, is that your boobs, you know, whether it's how you look, what cup size you, you inhabit, whether you're partner likes your cup size should not be the reason that decides whether or not you have life threatening or life saving surgery. And so um, very much like, like um, you said, I think there's humor in that. So I decided I wanted a little bit of an in your face kind of upfront title that got people's attention. Because anybody who's gone through this, believe me, they hit you with a two by four and, you know, it got your attention. So it was not that there was a whole lot of, like, you know, underlying thought to it, but but very much for the same reason, Um, you know, to bring some levity, to bring some perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's not the end of the world to be diagnosed with breast cancer. It's a horrible, shitty thing to have to go through that I hope I I didn't go through and I don't wish on anybody else. But um, it's not something that you would decide not to do a treatment because, you know, you're you we fetishize boobs. Mm-hmm. you know, over our lives. So, and I'll tell you, you, you kind of prompted me. I was thinking about this last night and preparing for this. When I first, um, uh, 
when I uh, first started putting together my website, I had something called the weekly rant because, um, you know, that's me. I, I, there's something that I see on TV or read in the news or whatever. And I just, I just like rant and rave. And, and so I had this whole section of my podcast devoted to like what the weekly rant is mm-hmm. and um, kind of took that out. Cause I wasn't sure how people were going to receive that. But after boobs in the news, I've decided to put back in my weekly rant. Yes. Look you at know? us. We inspired you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, the weekly rant, like the stupidity of it, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, how dare, you know, somebody in your family say, well, it's just a boob job. Well, mm-hmm. that's, you know, it, yeah. it, you know, so, so I decided to implement my uh, weekly rant and I, I was yes. inspired by your boobs in the news. Love that we can do that for you. Yes. <laughs> In our last few minutes, just um, uh, why don't you give um, some information about how people can contact you if they want Mm -hmm. to um, uh, explore this further or explore working with you or, um, you know, you said that you do uh, like a a mentorship program for people. So why don't you give some information about contact so that people have that as well? So I'm a mentor with Faith Through Fire and you can find Faith Through Fire information at faiththroughfire.org. It's a nonprofit. Um, we're based out of St. Louis, Missouri. So we are a little bit further away from Deborah. Um, but we, (laughs) we are, um, my coaching business. So I have a coaching business and it's sarahjhallcoaching.com. You can contact me at Sarah at Sarah with an H Sarah at sarahjhallcoaching.com. Um, and I really like to coach women, you know, right after treatment ends, um, usually like a month or month or two after you in treatment is that kind of that ideal time to um, start in on your health and wellness coaching, like getting into habit changes and forming a new kind of way of being that gets you to an ultimate goal of like where you would like to be. Um, But the mentorship through faith through fire is usually what um, during active treatment. And then again, my podcast is with Beth who is with faith through fire and it's besties with breasties podcast. So that's how you find it. You have to put the podcast at the end, but we're on all the major platforms. Great. Great. Um, you know, and you, you brought up something that, that um, comes up a lot in, in the women that I work with and um, consult with, uh, you know, I won't work with anybody who's not working with a, a, a care team and, a, you know, an oncologist or whatever that care team looks like for that person. And I'm not going to come in and, you know, start discussing, you know, different chemo meds and yes, you should do that. No, you shouldn't do that. That's, that's a, that's not what I do. Um, but also the difficulty is, and I, I help my clients understand this, doctors are not always open to like integrative or functional approaches. They just want to stay in their lane. This is what I always do. This is what everybody has to do. And I'm not going to hear anything else. You know, as much as I may or may not agree with that, um, I I think it's a very different conversation if you're in the midst of treatment. I honestly believe that one of the, one of the things that has happened with Google and with um, the Facebook groups and whatever is that you can, you can get, a hundred different opinions. You've got people calling themselves experts. There's people, you know, somebody told me yesterday, well, I follow this treatment method. I've never even heard of it, you know, but some guy is now an expert in it that they follow. And I'm like, well, I, I, I can't talk to you about it. I, I don't know what it is. And I looked into it and I don't really want to get into it any further, you know, I, but, but that's for me. The same thing with supplements. And this is one of the things I do as a functional medicine person is uh, really help people understand what supplements are you taking? Where did you learn about it? Why are you taking it? And is it helping you? So, you know, but all of that is quite different to have that conversation when someone's in treatment. And believe me, if an oncologist says to a client, well, I don't want you doing X, Y, or Z, I am not in a position to say, we'll do it anyway. I really believe that to decrease the clutter and overwhelm, you have to decide what horse you're going to ride and stick with it. If you're going to go with, you know, a traditional person who's not open to functional medicine, then I will support you in whatever ways I can, but more power to you. But going out and and getting opinions from everybody so that you're just sitting there like, oh, my God, what do I do next? Doesn't help you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just overwhelming and confusing and can leave you kind of like with deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. But once treatment finishes, this mm-hmm. is this is the piece I want to emphasize. Once treatment is over, whatever that treatment may be, you're, you know, they're like, okay, go, go forth and conquer, you know, more power to you. (laughs) That's where also, in addition to the emotional and physical kind of letdown that we go through, 
you go through a treatment letdown. You're not seeing those doctors. They're seeing you once every six months, once mm-hmm. once a year. You know, they're they're doing surveillance scans. They're not actively treating you. And that's where, you know, from a functional standpoint, I believe all the problems with your thyroid, your blood sugar regulation, your adrenal system, um, you know, uh, all your immune, play. your immune system, like your, your immune, immune system, system may or may not have taken a beating if you just went through chemo, like you, yeah, you may have needed to do those little. treatments because they were life saving. Yeah. But we know that none of these treatments only affect the cancer cells. That would be great if it did. It right. affects your whole body. But the, you know, but these doctors aren't looking at like, well, what's happening with your thyroid gland and what's happening with your gut health and what's happening with your immune health and your blood sugar. I so many women start having blood sugar dysregulation and pre-diabetes as a result of treatment. And that's where I, as a functional medicine person, can can come yeah. in. And that's where I feel like I can really be very effective in helping people understand nutrition and supplements and lifestyle and, and rebuilding their health. Because, you know, whether you went through these traditional treatments or not, we know they take a toll on your body. And I think that that's where we as as um, practitioners and coaches can really help. And one of the things that I appreciate that you can offer is helping people learn how to uh, work out and exercise again. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going right after our talk here, I'm going to meet with a trainer because I know a lot about, um, I, I know a lot about exercise, but getting back into health and learning how to exercise in this different body that you have now yeah. and learning what's safe and learning what, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing something that everybody does, but not everybody has had their breast removed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you develop certain musculoskeletal compensations. Mm-hmm. And so going out and doing a traditional routine that, that some, somebody might do if they hadn't, didn't have any health problems may be the worst thing to do for you. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that you can bring that to the table as well. Yep, absolutely. You know, so, um, you know, so I, I guess the whole point of that whole thing was to just really make that distinction between sometimes, even if you're in active treatment, you know, some of your other options for whatever reason may not be limited or your doctor may not sign off on it, but that doesn't mean that when treatment is done and you're rebuilding your health and you're trying to get back to normal and you're trying to figure out what normal is because normal is different now, <laughs> you know, there is no going back to the perky Sarah that was such a go-getter because you're a different person. Yes. You're, you know, for me as an ICU nurse, I've been an ICU like high stress nurse my whole life. All of a sudden I would go into work and I'd, I'd get hit with a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And it took me a short, I realized like, oh my God, I don't even really know what it is, but I had to leave that line of work. I couldn't do that kind of ICU mm-hmm. nursing anymore. I didn't have the emotional um, guarding, or I'm not sure what the word is, the emotional, there's a certain emotional place you have to be in to to be able to work with people in that kind of intensity mm-hmm. and have empathy, but still be able to function and not, yeah. and I had lost that. You know, I just wanted to curl up in a corner and cry, you know, um, when a tragic case hit. And that doesn't make me effective as as an ICU nurse. Yeah. So, you know, that whole what is normal and what are you getting back to? That's a moving target that can be very different. So yeah. I think that would be um, a thing to think about when looking at either, you know, working with me from a functional medicine perspective or you as a coach or another coach is, is uh, really understanding that normal may be very different. And you don't even know what that is. And unfortunately, we kind of learned by trial by fire, like, oops, I did that. I had a panic attack. Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. You know, and I think when you talk about resiliency, that's, that's what comes to mind for me. That resiliency is not, it's, it's learning how to live in your life now having a different lived experience, you know, but how to thrive and do it by a different standard than some of the often uncaring standards that we kind of hold from a societal perspective. Mm-hmm. You hit the nail on the head. So, well, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled that you Absolutely. joined us today. And um, for you, the listener, if you want to reach out uh, to me, I can certainly connect you with Sarah if that helps. And there, of course, will be show notes. Uh, please let people know about the podcast. As I said, if you're interested in how to incorporate functional medicine, coaching, or more holistic view of your recovery, please reach out to me at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is boobsaren'tworthdyingfor.com. And you'll also be able to see today's episode or hear today's episode and have 
access to others because um, Sarah is just one of many really valuable, knowledgeable, um, heart-centered people that have joined me on the podcast to help us all learn another angle of recovery, you know, because yeah. it's a it's an it's an evolving, ongoing place. Yeah. So thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. This thank has been great. I just want to say any, anything in closing that you want to say that we didn't talk about? Uh, no, I mean, just listen to your gut, listen to your intuition and, and just be the best that you can be that you know you can be, not what everyone else tells you you can be. <laughs> right, right. Thanks so much. And until next week, um, you all take care. And as I said, tune in next week and we'll talk about some of the specific um, integrative and functional health practices that you can implement today or next week when I talk about it. So anyway, I'm being a little silly, but um, thank you all for joining us. And until next time, take care. Thanks for joining us today. If you have comments or questions about today's episode or how functional medicine can help you in your own recovery from breast cancer, you can contact Deborah at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com. You can leave positive feedback and subscribe for future episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out Deborah's website at www.boobsaren'tworthdyingfor.com for show notes, educational info, and other important links. Until next time.